Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. What up, everybody? Welcome into the College Chaos Podcast. Garrett Ross, Jack McKenzie here with you. Emory Winter is... Not with us today. He is enjoying some good time out in Colorado as he gets a little break before we jump into the season. And we're going to continue talking Big 12 football and we're going to go around. Last week we touched on Texas and this year or this week we're going to talk about Oklahoma and we're joined by my man Colin Kennedy who covers the Sooners for 247 Sports. Colin, what's up, man? How are you doing? What's going on, brother? It's good to be here. I appreciate you having me. You know, we, we go back a ways a little bit, man, you and me. Yep. And so... It's fun to chop up some ball here and get into what should be a pretty weird season for Oklahoma. Yeah, no doubt, man. And let's let's start with kind of looking back at last season. This was an Oklahoma team who traditionally does not have years like they did. You went six and seven, three and six in Big Twelve play, uh, but you did have promising way you wrapped up the season with the. While you didn't get the win against Florida State, you look like a totally different program in my eyes. So, uh, from a Brent Venables perspective what do you think he learned about himself in year one and what are some of the things he might want to change or what kind of uh impact can we see in year two under Venables yeah man it's a really good question I, I don't think that people are talking about this enough typically whenever you dive into a podcast like this right everyone's trying to ask question x or y about OU season what went wrong this that and the other but no one actually asks about the head coach and why this season went the way it did because of a guy who, for being honest, fellas, like this is a first year head coach who is really in the thick of trying to learn how to run a program. And I think when you look at what Brent learned from last year and is now trying to pivot to not just Brent, but I mean, several members of the staff, you got to look at OU and think, from the top down, there are a lot of guys in unique positions within this coaching staff who are still trying to learn their way. Miguel Chavis is their defensive ends coach. This is the first time he's basically an on-field position coach at the collegiate level, especially at the Power 5 level, too. You've got Emmett Jones, who just came in to coach wide receivers last year during the season. They basically had a assistant to the assistant coaching the wide receivers. It's It was a really unique season, but I think for Brent specifically – I think he learned a lot about how to trust people within the building, how to handle roster management, right? I mean, we saw arguably the greatest amount of turnover in OU football history after Lincoln Riley left. And on top of all the exits and program changes, the natural roster turnover that takes place mm -hmm. when you bring in a new head coach, that, that happened as well for Brent. And so he basically had a completely cleaned out program, nowhere near where he wanted it to be or what he wanted it to look like. So I think he he's learned a lot about how to structure your roster and make it match what you'd like, and that's had to be done on the fly. And then I think the other part of that, too, is just continuing to build what he would like this program to be both on and off the field. He's implementing different sorts of strategies, and I think he's also trying to learn a little bit more about how to recruit, right? I think – we forget as well, he was at Clemson for a long time. And Clemson is one that's unique in how they approach not just recruiting, but the transfer portal as well. And Brent has had to really lean on the portal. He's had to lean on some unique angles. And I know that his staff is continuously trying to work with him and, and shape exactly how they want to approach recruiting to the University of Oklahoma. And so all that being said, and then just, of course, carrying out what he'd like this team to look like on Saturdays because he still has very much to say, not just on the defensive side of the ball, but I mean, he, if you go to an OU football practice today, 
he's basically the linebackers position coach as well. So right. Prince had a lot on his plate, but I think those are just a few of the things that he's not only learned, but continuing to learn about how he wants to be as a head coach. I'm glad you brought up the recruiting aspect and the, the transfer portal as well. Cause those are a couple of areas I wanted to get into, but let's start with the transfers. Um, you know, I think he did a really good job of attacking the portal this season. I know, uh, he'd done it in an unconventional way, or I know he made the comments out there about Dion, how he flipped his roster. Uh, but when you look at the guys they were able to bring in, I know they were able to anchor it down some of the offensive line, but really on the defensive side of the football, who are some of the transfers that you could see having the biggest impact this season for Oklahoma? There's going to be a lot, and rightfully so. I think I was actually talking to a couple sources at OU the other day. They're really excited about some of these new faces you're going to see on the defensive side of the ball. Now, of course, OU and Baylor don't get to play each other this year, right? right? Which is a little bit of a bummer on my end. I do love the press box food out there at McLean. But, <laughs> uh, I think that they made it very apparent when you just look at this portal list, right? Garrett, you know this. Based on what a coaching staff does with their portal takes, it's literally telling you how they feel about a certain position. Mm-hmm. Whether you like it or not, their indication of how they feel about the roster as it currently stands is made apparent through the portal and who they take. And I think through this, they made it clear they wanted to get better specifically on the defensive line and in the secondary. And they felt good about the linebacker spot. They did bring in a guy that I'll touch on. But I think first up on the defensive line, I've heard really good things about DeJon Terry, guy coming in from Tennessee, big dude, 6'4", 320-ish pounds, probably going to look even bigger once the season starts, but he's going to be someone that I feel like will help anchor that defensive front. Tassan McCullough is a guy that's going to start for them at their cheetah position, which is essentially a glorified nickel. And he's someone coming in from Indiana who, former freshman All-American, I covered him in high school as a recruit. He's unique because he's 6'5", 225, 230 pounds, but he's not necessarily someone – despite it being forced upon him, who I think fits the edge rusher spot. I think that the cheetah position is more so what he would like to do from a, from an approach perspective. And I think it's fit him really well at this point. They're really excited about him. I think he might end up being one of the best players on OU's defense. Rondell Bothroyd at defensive end, he's going to be a consistent starter. I think he's someone coming in from Wake Forest who will be one of the best players on this defense as well. Trace Ford is coming in from Oklahoma State. He's going to be a really nice added boost for them on the defensive line rotation. And then one more guy I would really like to mention, too, is it's a unique one in Reggie Pierce. Safety from Texas Tech, so an in-conference transfer. He gave Oklahoma some fits as well as a number of other programs that had to play Texas Tech. But he's coming in from Texas Tech as a potential starter for Oklahoma back there in the back end and He's, he has been an incredible since he's entered the program. They think he's going to be a consistent down-and-down starter and what, honestly, guys, is going to be a really deep safety group for OU in 2023. So those are just a few names of, of guys who will help eventually make this defense look a lot different than what it was a year ago. Yeah, Colin, it sounds like um, it sounds like Venables is really looking at beefing up that D-line, not only for this year, but kind of going down the road. How do you see that process looking out on the field this year and then kind of looking forward a year heading into the SEC where the trenches are so important? Where will they be at then, too? Correct. Yeah, it's it's basically the primary focus of the program right now. For for all intents and purposes, the defensive line specifically is where Oklahoma is trying to get the most overhaul done. And I think you look at a few names. I mentioned DeJon Terry. He's probably coming in as a potential day one starter. Rondell Bothroyd, another one. But they've got guys coming in like Devon Sears from Texas Tech, who I think is going to be a really nice boost for them. I mentioned Trace Ford as well. The defensive line as a whole is where Oklahoma not only knows it had to get better from a season ago going into 2023, a year in which they're trying to get right back up towards the top of the Big 12, they just simply weren't good enough up front a season ago. And so on top of that, you mentioned it, they're trying to build upon that going into the SEC. This recruiting class they're trying to build is what will eventually take them into the conference. And while the national perspective may forget that, OU's 2024 approach on the recruiting trail has essentially been – 
we will take as many elite defensive linemen as want to come here. Like that, it's a simple nature. And they're in the mix for a lot of elite players. David Stone, Williams Winery, Dominic McKinley, Nigel Smith, the list goes on and on. I think when we talk about Oklahoma football right now, one of the first few things you have to mention is what they're doing on the defensive line of scrimmage. And they know that no matter where you are, you have to be good up front on that side of the ball. They simply weren't that really a year ago, but also transitioning from one conference to another. OU's really hammer home the fact that like Todd Bates is one of the elite developers of defensive line talent. Chavis has come in and really impressed a lot of people as a recruiter and a coach. You have to capitalize on who's in the building now, the races you're now a part of that you probably weren't maybe a year or two ago. And then on top of that, I mean, OU's entering a conference that's inadvertently giving them an advantage with some of these defensive line prospects. So they can't miss and they have to eventually get better along the line of scrimmage if they're going to continue to win at the expectation level of the fan base. Yeah, thinking back to some of the the defenses Venables had at Clemson, like he had a lot of guys off that out of that front seven drafted. And um, I think that's really important. But another thing Venables said was that he expects the Sooners to be on another planet defensively this year. But they ranked yeah. 99th last year. And I'm just curious on your take, what would another planet be? Is it 50th? Is it top 25? Is it getting towards the top 10 in a massive leap? Uh, what's your take there? It's a, it's a good question. Like, And I've had this asked a time or two in different words, but what exactly is the expectation level for OU's defense in 2023? Yep. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And I think it's a big question mark. I think when you when you ask Brent or certain people around the program, I would tell you objectively, maybe like a top 40 unit is their goal. And that checks out, right? I mean, if you go from, let's just say 90 to like 45, you're cutting the deficit in half. I mean, but I think also too, you look at OU's schedule this year, and I mentioned it briefly, they don't play Baylor. They don't play... Texas Tech, they don't play Kansas State, they don't play Houston. Like, there are a lot of programs who would probably give them fits on the offensive side of the ball that they just simply don't match up with this year. And so, I personally believe that if they enter another world, and let's just say that other world is even top 50 or 60, when you examine the schedule and who they have to play this season, if, if they even just slightly improve, they can win a lot of football games this year. And I don't know that truthfully that's a, that's an indictment on the program. I really do think that if they show barely any signs of defense improvement, and I think that they will, I think they can win a lot of football games given the slate in front of them. And a lot of the offenses that are maybe questionable going into 2023. Talking with Colin Kennedy, he covers Oklahoma for 247 Sports. And Colin, uh, speaking of that, you're talking about the schedule there. When you're looking at it right now, are there any games that stand out to you like that you're looking forward to the most, other than Texas, obviously? But And, and also, like kind of a second part of that, you mentioned all the teams that are not going to play. Is there one or two teams that you would have liked to see on the schedule the final year in the Big 12? Well, yeah, it's, it's two fun questions. So I'll start with the current schedule, right? I think when you look at it out of the gate, the non-con, one thing that's kind of weird about OU, you're used to maybe a headliner game or two mm-hmm. out of the gate, and that's just not the case this season. And 
truthfully, I would tell you that the best team that they play within the first four or five weeks of the season before the Texas game is probably SMB. And so while I am excited about that SMU game, it's going to be a Norman. I would be stunned if they don't win right by a decent margin. Yeah. And that's not a knock on SMU. It's just to me hard for the Mustangs out of the gate to put their best foot forward in order to get that type of victory on the road. They play at Cincinnati to open big 12 play, which I think is another fun matchup, but I just don't, I had the Bearcats picked as my last to second to last team in the big 12. I just don't know that there's going to be much there from a challenge perspective, but I do think it will be fun to see Oklahoma play UCF following the bye week after Texas UCF coming to town to play Dylan Gabriel is a fun storyline. I do think that the Knights are going to be solid one, two that I'm circling. They traveled to Kansas. And I think even in two years ago, we would be like, why are we even talking about right. this? Game? But Oklahoma, Jalen Daniels was not a factor the last time Oklahoma played them. And I think KU would have a chance to at least light up the scoreboard if all is going well on that Saturday out in the works. They do have the the Bedlam game in Stillwater. Could be the final edition for a long time, which is a fun little one to circle. They play at BYU, which is another game. But I also think, to wrap out the schedule and the games that stand out to me, TCU is coming to Norman to play an 11 a.m. kick on a Friday immediately after Thanksgiving. There's, there's a lot about this game that I am still wildly frustrated with. And I, I have a great affinity for TCU and that program. I mean, I'm, I'm right down the road here in DFW and obviously Oklahoma. But, like, th- this OU-TCU game, guys, is usually a very fun matchup. Now, last year was a blowout, but Dylan Gabriel went down, this, that, and the other. Oh, you just didn't have quarterback depth. But – Traditionally, OU and TCU give you a down-to-the-wire finish, and it's a really fun atmosphere. It's usually a really good game. And to just end the year and end the Big 12 slate with that type of game at 11 a.m. on a Friday after a holiday, it's just it's a little bit silly. But to then wrap out your question, again, I would have loved to see Oklahoma and Baylor match up. I really like going to McLean. I like seeing that OU-Baylor matchup. I've been to some really fun ones down there in Waco between the two teams. I'm also a huge Kansas State-Oklahoma matchup fan. I subtly have a soft spot for K-State. Uh, shout out them, man. They put me in the Big 12 Championship hype video. So K-State's got a, got a place <laughs> for me. But also, like, I mean, K-State is one of the consistent beaters of Oklahoma. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It just doesn't happen. And for us not to get that matchup in the final Big 12 year of OU and Texas being in it, I'm very bummed about. And it would have been cool to see him play Houston or Texas Tech, but I would tell you that not seeing Baylor and Kansas State on OU's schedule this season is is one that, for me, makes me a little bit sad, especially considering some of the other matchups that are that are on this list. Yeah, I think for me, when I was looking at that, the one that immediately jumped out was K State because I, I was going back to like these are the Big Twelve North rivals and the you know the the old Big Eight and everything. So I was just really hoping that we would get to see that, especially the way K State was playing last year. But you know, it just is what it is. But we spent a lot of time on here talking about the the front seven essentially for Oklahoma on the defense, but on the back end, a guy that I think if. Everybody who's paid attention to recruiting, even remotely, knows Peyton Bowen and the type of talent he brings to Oklahoma. What kind of impact do you think we can see from him this year, or is it kind of still a, a learning curve? Or what? What can we sure. expect from Peyton Bowen? Yeah, so it's a it's a good question, and I, I I'll do this. I'll bridge the gap between the two. Right, I think it's very unique in that Oklahoma brought in essentially two five star defensive players. And one is getting talked about every single second of every hour. And the other one has just been, I literally got off the phone before the show with a, with somebody. And we were talking about how the other one has been essentially completely forgotten about to this mm-hmm. point. So early, you asked me about the, the defensive front and how they're trying to get better up there. PJ Adewari is going to go into next season as a massive piece of this defensive line rotation. And he just doesn't get discussed because he is not the headliner 
or the roller coaster that a one Peyton Bowen was, correct? I think both are going to play a lot of football for OU in 2023. PJ is, is going to be someone that I think is going to anchor Oklahoma's defensive front for years. And he's, in my opinion, a, a first-round type of talent one day. But for Peyton Bowen going into this year, I think Peyton is going to be the guy on that defensive side as a freshman that essentially you're going to be talking about continuously in the same manner in which we're talking about him this offseason. So what do I mean, mean about that? The early reviews have been raves, as you would expect. I mean, people are excited about what Peyton's been able to bring to the table. He has come in and worked tirelessly to improve, to become a leader, to become essentially a, a key piece of the defensive back rotation. And when you look at OU safety room, guys, I hinted at this. It's probably one of the deeper groups that OU's had in, in a while. But Reggie Pearson's going to be an every-down type of player for them. Billy Bowman is another that I think a lot of people are really excited about at the safety mm -hmm. spot. But then you've got Key Lawrence, former transfer from Tennessee, who's played a lot of football at OU. They're excited about him. And then Peyton Bowen is in that top four as well as a former five-star who everyone thinks is going to play a ton. And so when you factor that in with the cheetah position, that's essentially an extension of the safety room, Desan McCullough is going to be one of the elite players on this defense I think Peyton Bowen is going to be right up there in terms of production with some of these other key components of OU's defense. He's going to play a lot of safety. I wouldn't be surprised to see him move around a little bit as well. But, I mean, look, he, he came to Oklahoma, and Oklahoma brought him in with the expectation of playing early and often. And that's certainly going to be the case in 2023. And then for years to come, as he essentially becomes an integral part of the program. Yeah, it'll be very interesting to keep track of him. But uh, switching gears a little bit, Colin, just how good can this offense be this year? And a secondary question I have is, who steps up and becomes a wide receiver one? Yeah, I think this is the question everyone wants to know the answer to, right? Because it's a very weird year in that it's a light schedule. We're not used to a lack of headliner games for Oklahoma we're not used to seeing like a Kansas State matchup. And we're just simply not used to seeing this number of question marks on the offensive side of the ball for Oklahoma this year. And I think that's why there's so much intrigue surrounding the Sooner season. I think a lot of it has to do with the second part of your question, to be honest, Jack. Like, whoever is wide receiver one for OU, I feel like has a lot to do with the season outcome. And the expectation there is Jaleel Farouk is going to be that guy. Jaleel is a very talented player from the East Coast. He came in with Caleb Williams. And when a lot of those players like Caleb or Mario Williams elected to leave, he decided to stay. And he decided to stay, I think, with the expectation of essentially becoming Oklahoma's number one go-to guy. And rightfully so. He's someone that not only can play a high-level perimeter wideout, but he can do a lot of different things. They're, they're going to be able to utilize him and – and anything from out wide to the slot or even just some end around jet sweep, wildcat quarterback, like he can do a lot of things for you. But if he's not number one, and let's just say like Drake Stoops, for example, is your go-to guy on the offensive side of the ball. Drake Stoops is a really good football player. I don't know that's what you would like to see if you're OU trying to take this offense to the next level. And I think when you look at it as a whole, OU's offense, honestly, might be actually facing more question marks than the defensive side, which is a very unique storyline to follow because it's just not what we say when it comes to Oklahoma football. But I think you look at it from every level. They're excited about this offensive line. There is a lot of turnover there. They lose three starters who I think are, are very good football players, but they, they bring in some guys like Garrett mentioned that they're very excited about from the portal. You look at the quarterback position. What can Dylan Gabriel now become? Is he going to stay healthy? Mm -hmm. And if he isn't healthy, what does Jackson Arnold then produce? Which is another thing we have to think about. They're excited about the running back room. I think the running backs are going to be really good this year. Javante Barnes and Gavin Sawchuck are two very highly rated recruits now expected to be very productive running backs. And, and they're both guys that are elite on and off the field. If that makes sense, I believe that that stuff translates to the running back position. But I think the biggest thing right now with Oklahoma's offense is if you like where you're at from an offensive line and running back perspective, 
what is Dylan Gabriel going to be like on the field if he's there? And then what can he facilitate with these wide receivers and a tight end room that is as questionable as I've ever seen in my days covering Oklahoma football? And, and for that reason, it's hard to really set an expectation level for an offense that's still trying to figure out what its identity is going to be in 2023. Colin, we got a couple more things for you, and then we'll let you go. But w- one thing I'm curious about, and I know I'm interested to see your perspective as somebody who's close to Oklahoma, but from where we're at, I feel like there's a lot of talk more so about Texas and the future heading into the SEC. And I don't really know what to make of Oklahoma, and I would like to know like generally what people up there think. But from my perspective, how does Oklahoma, going forward as they head into the SEC, remain Oklahoma, whereas you're consistently in the hunt for uh, conference titles year in and year out, and not just become another Ole Miss who's lost in the shuffle that wins eight, goes like eight and four every year. Right. It's it's a valid question to ask. And I think Oklahoma often gets forgotten because Texas is routinely that headliner. And look, everyone wants to talk about – everyone in America has an opinion about Texas football. It's like the Cowboys. Correct. Does that same narrative apply to Oklahoma? Just, I mean, simply, no. Not not every Ole Miss fan is ready to drop their Texas football versus Oklahoma football take. They, they probably have more to say about the Longhorns. But I think when you look at Oklahoma and you examine it, I don't know that OU's placing within the SEC has firmly been projected to this point. I don't know that you can accurately depict where they're going to fit in this conference until – we see the year two development under Brent Venables and his staff. And I think it goes back to what we've been talking about here on the show. They're nowhere near where they've wanted to be along like the defensive line, for example, and just the defense in general. And even then the offense, like we're talking about, has a lot of question marks that are remaining unproven. But I think you look at this in let's say the next six to seven months, they have – already what five wide receivers committed in 2024. They just added a walk-on who's a three-star that's spurning a few scholarships to go play at OU. They're trying to land more. And then on the flip side of this, they are trying to land three five-star defensive linemen. And I don't even know how many four stars up front. So like, it's hard to project where Oklahoma would be in the SEC until we actually get a firm grasp of these needs that they're trying to address and how those then are finalized. But I think the biggest thing for OU is going into the SEC, number one, recalibrating expectations, right? You're just, you're not going to be contending for the SEC championship every single season because you're now dealing with the Alabamas, the LSUs, the Georgias of the world on top of some of the other elite programs that are still developing themselves within the Southeastern Conference. But I think for Oklahoma, what what is now differing them from some of the other teams within the conference and why I believe that they will be a very solid team in the SEC, you have to examine that Oklahoma's approach on the recruiting trail is a little bit different than some of the other programs. They're pulling maybe from the Midwest a lot more than these Southeastern schools, and rightfully so. They're they're recruiting guys from Iowa, Nebraska, Illinois. Like That's kind of a recruiting territory they're trying to build. Yes, they want to recruit out of Florida and Georgia and so on and so forth, but they've sent out a lot more offers in Tennessee, for example, or maybe in the state of Arkansas. And then I think the other part of this, too, is Oklahoma is never going to go away specifically in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. Right. And, look, it's easier said than done because the state of Texas, not alone just DFW, is more of a battleground than it's ever been in the world of recruiting. Everybody is trying to pull from this area, right? But Oklahoma is doing so well because it is a hop, skip, and a jump from the DFW Metroplex. And a lot of senses, recruits have an easier time and a shorter drive getting to Norman, Oklahoma, than they do, for example, Austin, Texas, or College Station. And so OU's going to have that backyard of, of really elite talent that it can pull from. And this staff has really emphasized that on top of some of the Midwestern efforts and also some of the Southeast. But then to go with it as well, 
Oklahoma and its ability to pull elite portal players is going to also consistently factor it. And they will be able to beat out certain SEC schools for top prospects in the portal, which will then elevate them into a tier that I think is relatively reasonable somewhere towards the top. It's going to be hard for Oklahoma to, to clip into the elite tier of the SEC with Georgia and Alabama, and I would I would put LSU in there and maybe a few others. But Garrett I think likes I, the sound I, of that. Yeah, like it's it's a really strange one, but I'll t- I'll tell you this: I think if Oklahoma's not hovering around, let's say Florida, Texas, Texas A and M some of those schools, right. right, that have had outside shots at the SEC title game. If OU's not there, then we have an issue. But I still believe that, and I think we will be talking about it even more, like I mentioned with the way the recruiting trail is panning out for them. We'll be talking about it even more as them maybe being somewhere towards the top of the Southeastern Conference if all were to go well under Brent Venables in year two. Yeah, Colin Kennedy uh, covers the Oklahoma Sooners 24-7 sports. Uh, Turning back to this year then, you've got a defense that might not crack the top 50, an offense that is clearly explosive, is good players, but we're not sure who's going to step up and fill certain gaps. What's the floor and the ceiling for a team with such an easy schedule? And then beyond that, who do you see ending up in the Big 12 title game and winning the Big 12? Yeah, uh, there's a lot to get to go off here, right? So I think that the ceiling for Oklahoma this year, if I'm being honest with you, okay, I don't know how many games on the schedule you look at and say objectively, any, any college football fan in America, I don't know how many games you put in front of them and say, how many of these is Oklahoma likely going to lose? And I maybe think that there's a stretch to be done for one or two. Yep. And again, like I'm not necessarily saying this as a indication of the type of team Oklahoma has, because there's a lot still left to do, but this schedule, I mean, I, what I circle here guys is that game against Texas. I think Texas is going to be a really good football team this year, the way that they've structured the roster. And then what I, are you slipping up against TCU at home on a Friday morning? Are you losing on the road to BYU? Like, ah, it's it's tough. I mean, may, maybe the Oklahoma State game, but even then I, I have mashing, massive question marks about the Cowboys going into the season as well. And so the ceiling here, honestly, is 9-3, 10-2, 11-1, if they beat Texas, are we legitimately finding a way for Oklahoma to be undefeated going into a championship game within the conference? I don't know. I, I have kind of circled Oklahoma as a 9-3, and 10-2 and two team with the expectation of potentially going 11-1 and because I still feel like there might be a slip-up or two along the way. But at the end of it all, guys, I, I'm kind of in I'll believe it when I see it mode. And so – Looking at the Big 12 to, to wrap out your question, I voted Texas and Kansas State towards the top. And I believe that Texas has now the roster structure, coaching staff, and player buy-in, right, which is a difference. Mm-hmm. I believe that they have that going for them right now based on some people that I've talked to to potentially go to the top. But I'll tell you this, again, Kansas State stuff in me, if Kansas State's offensive skill players meet some level of production similar to last year, which will not easily be done, I really like the Wildcats as well going into this season. And those two teams will play in Austin, and it will be a great game. But from an Oklahoma perspective, I do believe that they have a, a legitimate chance to reach the Big 12 championship. And a lot of that has to do with the talent on the roster comparative to who is laid out on the schedule for them in 2023. Last thing I have for you, Colin, and I, I, 247 Sports, obviously recruiting base heavy. Um, when you look at Taylor Tatum and the running back from Longview, 
Uh, I was really not surprised at all that him him going to Oklahoma, especially I believe it was a couple weeks ago when it was, he had the visit up there, and it wasn't just the the football staff; it was the baseball staff as well. When I saw that, I was like, okay, he's probably going to be a sooner. But how could you give the people an idea of what he brings as a player, and also how much of that draw to commit to Oklahoma was the ability to play not only football but baseball in the SEC? Uh, I mean, he basically had almost every single reason with Taylor Tatum going to being honest. Now, as far as who this guy is, he is our number one running back in the class of 24-7 for every single reason. I mean, he can go in between or outside the tackles. He can make plays in the passing game. He has every component that we look for 24-7, whether you are running track, playing baseball, are you a multi-sport athlete? Do we have verified athletic numbers on you? And does your frame, other things of that nature, match up with the outlook of an elite running back? And that's what Taylor Tatum is. He's not only an elite runner of the football, he can catch the ball. He is also a very good pass protector. And it's not an aspect of his game that I believe is consistently shown, but I do believe he's one of the better running backs in the class at actually stepping in there and taking on defensive players and buying his quarterback time. And then overall, this is a guy who, again, he's, he's putting down track times. He is literally running on the track, leaving the track, putting on a baseball uniform and leading off games with home runs. And that's a legitimate story that's been told about Taylor Tatum. And so, for him to to then go into the second part of your question and evaluate programs, it came down to USC and Oklahoma for him. And Oklahoma is not only one of, if not the best at handling two sport athletes when it comes to football and baseball, but it's also probably one of the best destinations if you want to do that because of that. And then the fact that you would get to do both in the Southeastern Conference. And guys, don't forget, OU football is OU football, but OU baseball was in the College World Series finals. Yup. Not two years ago. And so Skip Johnson, who leads OU's baseball program, Reggie Willits, who is the associate head coach, former Major League Baseball player, like they have everything laid laid out for Taylor for him to be able to play both sports at a very high level in the SEC. And when you look at USC, USC is a very, very justifiable destination for a guy like that. But do you want to go play out West far away from home in the big 10 in both baseball and football. And I think Taylor Tatum sat down and said, look, I want to play in the sec close to home from a both sport perspective. And I think in the end, that's why Oklahoma ended up winning out on a guy they had to get in the class of 2024. It was a hell of a get for the Sooners. I was happy to see that, and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what he's able to do up there. But he is Colin Kennedy. You can find him on Twitter, at CKennedy247. Colin, appreciate you jumping on, man. A lot of fun, fellas. Anything you need, give me a shout. I'm excited for the season. Awesome. Appreciate you. That is Colin Kennedy. But coming up next, we're going to dive into the Pac-12 and what George Klyavkov didn't say at their media days, as well as what Texas and Oklahoma look like going forward in the SEC. And is there a beef between the SEC and the Pac-12 forming? All that's coming up next here on the College Chaos Podcast. Welcome back into the College Chaos Podcast. I'm Garrett Ross, alongside my man Jack McKenzie. And once again, I want to appreciate... Colin Kennedy for jumping on with us and talking about the Sooners as they get prepared for their final season in the Big 12, which is going to be very interesting. You know, I know there's a lot of mixed emotions out there and hate it or love it, but I, I want to talk about another conference. And you can't I talk about to talk about the SEC. Well, look, no, Garrett. see, I'm not going to talk SEC. Oh, I'm not going to talk SEC this time, oh, Jack. It's not the SEC. This it's time? not the SEC. It's it's okay. the it's the Pac-12. And I'll take um, that. I'll take that. So yeah, I know you. I know you don't like my SEC talk, so we'll try to switch it out, head out <laughs> I west. I say, as our third segment <laughs> is covering the SEC. Hey, you know you gotta gotta spread the love, dude. That's all it's about, spreading the I love. Really but have love for the SEC. Yeah. So or the Pac-12, but th- <laughs> this stuff from media days. Okay. So oh, all right, dude. So all right, on Friday, I don't think any of us were really expecting Klyavkov to go up there on Pac-12 media day and just give some grand announcement that they had a deal. I, I, nobody really saw that coming, but 
the way he kind of sidestepped and would say things like, oh, we, we have our grain of right sign. We're just not announcing it. Oh, we, we have a deal, but we don't want to over um, – we don't want to take away from football. Well, that's the thing. He kept on making it sound like they actually have a deal. Where and is then it? when pressed on it by a reporter saying, just to clarify, you're saying you have a deal and won't announce it so we can focus on football. He said, he, no, I think you're reading too much into that. That to me tells me there is no deal. To me, it's it's like listening to a politician talk. Like you, you know, they they come up there and there's no denying your way around it, but you just try to BS and dumb the situation down to make sure everybody like lull them asleep. Yeah, or but something. if he's a politician, he's a bad politician because well, that a, makes a sense. Good politician would not have put himself into the corner <laughs> he just put himself in. Like seriously. So like I, I didn't really like okay going into this. I didn't once everything was the dust settled and you're coming away from it. My perspective perspective on this hasn't really changed i've i've remained that the pac-12 is going to stay together um until at least 2031 when the new round of media rights deals come up um i i don't necessarily i hate i feel like they painted the put themselves in the corner with the whole comparing like the the whole layup we're gonna get like you should have never brought your finances up oh yeah there's never any sound structure because if you go back and listen, like I know uh, Robbins from Colorado was talking, well, we're fine. We're proud members of the Pac-12. Like, are you really, though? Like, I feel like this is just buying time, and the more this goes on and kind of watching how everything uh, played out, I've, I'm, I'm firmly set on Klyovkov is just kind of make this as awkward as possible and force one of the schools to make the collapse of the, the Pac so it's not on him. Yeah, honestly, it does seem like like George just keeps kind of pressing off, pressing off. He's almost like looking to put himself in a situation where if and when the conference falls apart, mm-hmm. he's able to be like, I couldn't have stopped it. There's nothing I could do. Like, it's their fault. Yeah. Which also makes me wonder why there's no massive anti-Big Ten propaganda going on. Because the Big Ten caused this, the Big Ten put them in the spot they're in. Yeah, them in the pack, the, them in the Big Twelve, definitely. No, no, the Big Ten. No, I understand by taking UCLA and none USC. of this would happen if those two didn't didn't leave. So, like, I I definitely don't f- understand why it seems to be so anti Big Twelve and not anti Big Ten. Um, but like, yeah, you're right. Just calling it a layup. Saying like really going hard at the Big Twelve, it just none of it is seeming like a smart move right now, and I don't think I can agree that the Pac-12 is looking safe to twenty thirty one, or maybe maybe I know you didn't say looking safe, right? No, I, I just I don't think they survive that long. I I think that either here in the next. Why am I even trying to put time range on this? When they, if and when they get a deal put in front of these schools, I'm very nervous. I'm not as nervous as I once was. I will say that. Somehow, the longer this has gone on, the more I felt like, oh, well, everyone's just all right with it being crappy. Right. But I do still think Colorado is a major flight risk. I do think Arizona is slightly less of a flight risk, but still a pretty big flight risk. So the second they get a deal in front of them, you got to have a deal that's at least within if it's within 5 million i think they're safe. Okay, say they say they do bring a, a deal to the table and it's within 5 million, but um 50% of that is streaming and the other is where you only get a handful of your teams in national spots and say you are Colorado, you're Arizona where you know I think Colorado obviously with the Dion effect, the prime effect however you want to put it would have and it it shows right like they're going to have a couple games on big noon kickoff but are you comfortable with that or do you still say well we would rather have the exposure and the extra money per se and then bounce does that make sense uh could you ask it so if you're if you're one of these programs like your colorado or your arizona and they do put a deal out there it's close within uh, the the range financially of the Big oh, Twelve. Oh, would you rather have the exposure of being but, one of the but best the, programs? But yeah, but most of it is going to be viewed on streaming. 
does that still make you nervous? Because I feel like that's another component where all this is thrown in. And I, I don't really care where my program is at, personally. If it's streaming or not, because yeah. I feel like streaming is such a big deal now. Streaming is a big deal now. I just... I worry about it because, like, say you're a program like Arizona specifically. Let's look at them. Okay. Pretty big school. Pretty big following. But I think a lot of their football following has been checked out for a little while now. They've had a string of bad coaches and a string of some truly bad teams. How are you going to build that back up in quite the same way? The people who are going to make sure they're watching Arizona football, going to find the stream every single time... Mm -hmm. Those are the people who are going to watch even if they were bad for the most part. Right. The, you're not going to grow as quickly, I feel, on streaming because streaming doesn't have that ease of use and the like, oh, yeah, they're on kind of thing. So a Colorado where like everyone's so freaking hyped, they're going to tune in for Dion. I, I feel better if I'm them. I feel better if I'm an Oregon or, or Washington or possibly in Arizona state um, just the programs that haven't had the momentum lately. I think it's going to be tougher to build momentum if your primary home is streaming. So frankly, if I'm pac 12, I'm liking that the CW seems like they're, they're strongly back in play. I'm liking the idea that we've got another channel, another network yeah. that's looking like, Hey, we just got some football and some basketball games are we going to have these be random one-offs or are we going to make double headers out of this stuff? See, I, like when the CW initially came out and, and the Pac-12 obviously shot it to shit real oh, quick. Oh, it sounded terrible when it initially no, I came out. I didn't think it sounded like a bad idea. Like it, it because it's an untapped, it's, it's literally everywhere. I know, well, I say that and then we have the, you can backdoor that with, well, it's not in Seattle. That's what's, you know, keeping the hiccup there, but it's almost everywhere. Um, it's, it runs nothing but rerun shows that everybody's seen a million times that you can go find on streaming. Uh, you've already shown now they have confirmed the willingness with, uh, you know, going out and working the deal with the ACC. But I know a lot of people crapped on that deal, but I thought it was kind of smart. The and ACC it put, deal? No, the, the, with the Pac-12, when the, the, the idea, maybe not the deal. I thought it was kind of smart because I know it's not – ABC, it's not ESPN, but you would have your own spot and it's in a lot of markets. I didn't have a problem with it. I know a lot of people made fun of it, but it seems like the same people that were making fun of the notion that the Pac-12 would go and be on CW weren't doing that with the ACC when they confirmed they were going to put games over there. I think that there is a... Because on some level, you're right. I can't deny that. On some level, you're right. Like, what looks like a dumb move for for an entity that we perceive to be in trouble mm -hmm. does not necessarily look like just as dumb dumb of a move for an entity that we're like, yeah, no, they're in a safer spot. I think it looks a lot better now for the pack because they're the second, though. Yeah. If they were the first, I think there'd still be a lot of questions of like, why? What? Like, what's gonna get the viewers to go over there? And not like those questions don't still exist in some form. I'm like I am nervous some for the yeah. ACC exposure there. If the pack joins them there, it's starting to feel like this is another channel that covers sports. That like this is another TNT, like TNT Light, where it's not all they do. They TNT. How many times do you see like a movie that you've seen a million times on there? No, a lot. And that's what I'm so. So what I'm trying to say is. It's like getting in on the ground floor of TNT before you knew that it could survive. There's every chance it can, especially since a channel like TNT proves right. that a channel like that can survive and can flourish. It's just, I don't fully trust that the CW can. So basically the idea that the ACC jumped first makes it look better for the Pac-12 now. makes me feel from the outside it's more stable for the Pac. When if the Pac had been the first to jump, mm. I would have been like, uh, I really don't have faith in a channel that we know for reruns and crappy superhero TV shows. <laughs> and like what I, I, I know back in the day, like a bunch of gossip hey, girl was you still on got there. supernatural. I'll be rocking with some supernatural. <laughs> but, over there. but you know what? I, do you, do you see what I'm saying? No, I do. But see, and I, I kind of look at it where 
in an opposite perspective, and I like how you brought up the TNT because it's kind of like when March Madness comes around, right? Like we know a game is going to be put on true TV and you're going to have to go hunt down the damn channel to find that game on true but TV, God damn it, I'm but you're going to do it. And I think that even if you looked at it just as this year, you could say the people would go, I think because people in general are going to go out of their way to watch Pac-12 football simply because of the quarterbacks. It's hands down the deepest quarterbacks position I really do. I think people will go out of their way to watch it. it, it maybe it's just Ooh, because we're in Texas. I, but I like think about it, dude. Like I was just telling you to wrap up the segment. Now. No, I'm, like, I'm no, being serious because I, I feel no, like no, you're right. I, look, it's okay, you're saying okay if Michael Penix is playing DJU and it happens to be on the CW. You damn right! I'm, I'm going to hunt CW. it down to find I'm that. The CW so that. I feel like that's kind of one of those things where it's because it's something new. And it's unchartered. Maybe we're kind of like hesitant to like, oh, I don't know if I would do that. But when you realistically well, not, think about not, it, I don't know. I would do it. No, I'm not. I'm just saying the general. I'm not saying it. you and Jim. I'm just like as a as a glossed yeah, whole. Yeah, yeah, you yeah, know yeah, what I'm yeah, saying? The general you. Yeah, I feel like. But at the end of the day, and you bring up a good point. I know 95 percent of the teams over there just because just like 95 percent of the teams in the Big 12, people. It's not for everybody, but you have such a invested group of people who want to go watch it. I don't give a damn if it's on streaming or Ion or Hallmark. <laughs> if you want to watch it, people I, are going um, to go find it. The and CW, I, I feel CW, like CW. I know. <laughs> and I think that's just kind of one of those things that gets this because it's new. It's 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 looked as um, a step down because it's not on one of the, the major things. One of the established Exactly. Networks. But I think as the market is changing. No matter what it is a step down, it's just, is it a is, but, it, is it the massive step down a lot of people, like even me, are joking about? Or is it just a minor step down where they have a true new home to, to help grow? If it's their own thing and they don't have to worry about, like, say, okay, if we're forcing our way onto ESPN and we're hoping they have some like money if to they throw. Are the CW's number exactly, one conference. Then all of the freaking and the money ACC's the side stuff is going them. to it. So, like, I don't, I just, I really believe there are integral ways that you could do this, incorporating with the streaming and Apple TV's interest, that it's not that big of a deal. And that's why I'm kind of like, I don't want to crap on it. I like the Pac-12. Your, your point about the quarterbacks is actually very, very good. And I think mixing that with, again, I don't have a lot of faith in live sports streaming to grow audiences. I think it's a great way to reach uh, the audience you have, which is why yeah, the CW a, yeah. is looking good. To me, actually, when you put it like that is, hey, we're going to make this... hope. Widely accessible outside of Seattle. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and we're going to have a bunch of marquee quarterback matchups. The the most entertaining position. Their head coaches. They got some damn good like, head coaches, too. But so you see what I'm saying? Is yeah. At this point, if you can get a lot of stuff on the CW, that's actually sounding really good to me. It is. Now. And I feel like you... You bring me around, and then the, within a week, it'll be like, oh, but he said this, and he said this. And <laughs> yeah, exactly. We'll but it's a really interesting point you bring up, and I do think that the Pac-12, even if they survive to, like, if they if they make this deal and they survive through the grant of rights mm -hmm. and, and they can survive after that, I think streaming, I think they need to avoid streaming as much as possible. I am firmly on that hill of... They need to be in the business of growing their brands right now, not just trying to maintain, of growing. Every other conference, except for possibly the ACC, is looking like they're truly growing their brands. The ACC has brands that just need to like get back to the top. Mm. So that's, that's what I'm concerned about. The Big 12 looks like they are the growth conference right, right. now. The Big 10 and the SEC don't have to worry about that because they are at the top. Yeah. The ACC has brands that are coming back around. They have their own bag of worms to look forward yeah, to but in terms of how it looks like you are growing your brand your brands and your collective mm -hmm. brand i think the pac-12 is clearly in the weakest spot right now and they need to be highly worried about that heading towards 2031 2035 those different deadlines which means to me streaming has to be avoided streaming has to be avoided because i really truly think streaming is amazing to reach the people you already have but not amazing to reach a whole chunk more people it's That's not fair. it's it just doesn't seem like a growth uh region of the market to me anyway no. yeah that's fair uh I think I've taken up all of our time here on the Pac-12 because we still have a very 
Very interesting conversation to get to. There has been some hints of what might possibly be some SEC, Big 12, Big Brother, Little Brother beef. And we're going to look at, it was an Ari Wasserman article on The Athletic about Texas OU recruiting. And then... Derek Duke had some stuff in the heartland.com that we're going to get into. It's kind of countering that as well, but just the state of college football in Texas right now, it's booming, and we're going to get into that and the impact next here on the College Chaos Podcast. Welcome back into the College Chaos Podcast. Garrett Ross, Jack McKenzie here with you, and we're going to jump into a situation um, that's starting to unfold, and Jack kind of disagrees with me on this a little bit, and that's fair, and that's why we get to come here and discuss this and debate this in front of you, but I feel like... I disagree. I feel like there was a grand misconception by people in Big 12 territory that once Oklahoma and Texas were gone for the SEC, that they would be done with those two programs, and... I feel like that couldn't be further from the truth um, because I find it so weird because I don't think we came up with this thought. We as being the big 12, we came up with this thought of we'd be done with them. I feel like we were told we are done with you. <laughs> we are done with and you. And now they're realizing, oh shoot, we can't just go pick on these guys, but we still want to pick on someone. So we're going to keep picking on you. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's interesting, right? Like I know there were, there were shots taking, uh, Greg, Greg Sankey, commissioner of the, the SEC, took some shots a few was a month, month or so back at Brett Yormark in the Big 12. Uh, go through and, these shots because I don't necessarily think I, they're, they're shots. Well, no. See, that's what I'm saying. He did throw some legit shots. But then the other day at SEC Media Days, he brought up the – and this is where you kind of say it's not a shot. I say it very well is and could be a shot. He brought up the – said somewhere around the lines of – we don't have to be in every time zone to be a national conference. Uh, and look, I've, it's not a shot. It's just a fact. It's a fact. It's just a fact. It is a fact. But at the same time, right, you have Brett Yormark who has come in and in, like just injected life into the Big 12, which was yeah. on its deathbed, right? You have the Big 10, who now has a new commissioner. They have everything they need and nothing to complain about. You have the Pac-12, which is literally on fire, and George Klyavkov is running around, like, trying to just save no, the day. He, he's that dog sitting yeah, there. Yeah, exactly. The, Every time, bro. Everything's fine. Everything fine. is fine. But and, everything around him is burning. burning. <laughs> and then you take a look at the ACC, right? Like, you had the the whole Florida State and Clemson talk. Now Jim Williams has bigger problems. I mean, yeah, uh, because – or Jim Phillips has bigger problems because he's getting brought into the whole debacle at Northwestern because he was the AD when everything's hitting the fan there. So now I feel like Brett Yormark is coming around and he's got the, the Big 12 doing all these things and Greg Sankey's sitting there like, I have to hold this down to try to humble this young man. And so, I, look, I just feel like right now – when you announce, you take Texas and Oklahoma, right? You immediately announce, uh, oh, SEC media de- ne- days next year are going to be in Dallas. Um, I feel like right now the Big 12 is, correct me if I'm wrong, is it's based, sol- not solely, but it's based primarily around Texas programs. And then you have the other schools coming in. But the foothold of your base is Texas, which is so important that you can't let go of. Now the SEC is trying to find every way they can to come into Texas, make sure Texas is theirs, and stomp out the Pac, the Big Twelve. And I good luck with that. I know, but at the same time, I. So, what are your thoughts on this? You think I'm just like making this up, like it's not a thing? Like, okay, so the beef or. Like, is there actual beef there? It, is Sankey taking shots at your mark? I mean, like, the time zones thing is just like, well, yeah. Y'all have had the last how many national champions? Like, out of all the different teams to win the national right. championship over the last decade, how many of them have been SEC teams? The vast majority. So, like, I mean, shoot. No, the SEC does not need to be in every time zone and in every time slot. Like, if they wanted to be in every time slot, mm-hmm. they could be because that's just how popular their teams are. So I, 
I don't see that as a shot. It's something that clearly the Big 12 needs to do to protect its place as number three, to try and close the gap, possibly, if there's even a possibility of that. Right. So, like, I don't see how it's a shot to say, we don't need this, they do. This just, I feel like that's just a fact of life. Now, moving media days to Dallas, one... The SEC does not do media days anywhere near the level of the Big 12. I feel like the Big no, 12. They spread it out too much. Like they Just they, put that crap they spread on two it out, days. But they, like they spread it out, but they also put all the coaches on the same day. Yeah, it's, it's like weird. It's weird. They, I think they could handle that a lot better. Uh, moving into Dallas, honestly, I think it's even more of a you to the Aggies than to the Big 12. That's see, that's one thing I took away from it, right? was like, okay, in the grand scheme of things, as, as much as they try... This has solidified AM as irrelevant. Like, look, <laughs> in the great, like, cool. Like, you had the number one recruiting class. You have all the money. You it solidified it's, them as irrelevant it, in, until they exactly. play the freaking game. Exactly. Once they start playing the game again, I mean, no, it's not the game. Whatever the what do they even call that? Do they have a nickname for that rivalry? Uh, Texas owns A and M. Is what it's called. <laughs> Some it, it, it's so bad. Like, I, I, it's just brutal. But see, like, I, I don't see that as as like. Trying to compete against the Big Twelve, I do though. It, it, look, dude, because okay, the the, the basis of Ari Wasserman's the Big Twelve article, does it better. It's more of a fuck you to the, to A and M than to anyone in the Big Twelve. And on top of all of that, they okay. were already the conference was already getting the best recruits. Okay, but you're also starting to see the national narrative spin. And you're seeing reporters take a dump on the Big Twelve as well. If you go and look at Ari yeah, Wasserman's, I why are they why, they're scared? They're scared because the Big 12 is competing without competing in every aspect. Which is why they want to humble Yortmark. It's, it's, they've got somebody who's like a, like a beehive. Just it, what, what's, what's sticking out to me is that like you're trying to humble him in his, like in his best arena. You're trying to humble Yortmark in Yortmark's best arena. And when that's clearly not working or you're just starting because you realize, oh, sh- he means business because mm-hmm. he does – the first thing people are pulling up like Ari Wasserman is Texas and OU have out-recruited the Big 12 for the last decade. Cool. OU won a bunch of championships. Uh-huh. How many have they won lately? No, I mean, what was it? 2019 was the last time they won one. Yeah, and that's only getting further away. Yeah. And I don't think they're going to win it this year, even if they have a soft schedule, because I think once they make it to Arlington, even like, like TCU last year, TCU's undefeated heading in. Right, yeah. They deserved a loss somewhere in there. Yeah. So... I don't think OU is winning the Big 12 championship. Texas has the best shot at it, but when was the last time they won the Big 12 Bro, championship? I don't even know. I, I honestly I haven't been keeping up In with the Big 12. In Ari Wasserman's article, he literally, literally tries to throw out the the okay, but what have they done on the field? How have they developed these recruits? Because his article is centered around yeah. recruiting. And he tries to throw out the how have they actually done on the field argument. No, he does. That means something. He does. And if the Big 12, if the remaining members of the Big 12 are already making life hell for those two before they go to a conference that actually does recruit on their level, why? Why do I have well, to see, care about Well, here's that? another thing, too, that, that is interesting because you could bring up the the topic, and, and rightfully so, Texas, Oklahoma do get more five, obviously more five stars and more four stars. But what I think you're going to start seeing, and you're, you're already starting to see it with TCU, and I've, I've touched on this, but once the recruits, those four and five stars start going out and they leave the state and they come back and you're from Dallas and you're from Houston, you're going to go to those two programs. You're going to go to TCU and you're going to go to Houston. And you're going to start seeing, while you didn't recruit out of high school, the four and five stars, you're getting the people to come back in yeah. the transfer portal, which is going the to transfer bulk portal's up. transfer portal is great but for see, the Big 12. That, that's another thing, dude. Like, I feel like right now, and I, I didn't get to see this in its glory, and I know you didn't as well, but I've grown up. I'm, I'm probably the most unorthodox Texan you will meet. I do not fit the criteria and standards of most Texas people. And so I didn't grow up on Southwest Conference football and Texas and Texas A&M. You got to watch it on Thanksgiving and all that shit. No, I, I, I was from a different perspective. So, uh, but you did always hear about the Southwest Conference. And I feel like right now, when you start seeing all the money that's coming to these Texas schools and all the way they're poking at each other, I feel like we're getting a, a, 
almost a resurgence of the vibe around the Southwest Conference. As long as Except it's just the vibe. Now, and I know, not. but now, but you're going to start seeing, that's what I'm saying, the the pettiness, all of the shots, I think you're going to see that magnified, but you bring up you brought up a good point the other day because I do get, I do believe that within the next few years, the SEC and the Big Ten will stop scheduling other, pro, other Power Five conferences. I, I, I do, it. but you brought up a good point that at the end of the day, the bowl games matter. And right now, Texas, I mean, uh, TC, I'm, Texas TCU. The Big 12 and the SEC have two bowl games solidified to where they're going to play each other, right? Yep, the Texas Sugar Bowl, bowl and the, the Sugar bowl. bowl. So you can talk all the mess, but when you have Texas Tech playing Oklahoma or you know Baylor playing Texas for the Sugar Bowl, that's where it's going to be fun. But I do think that the notion, the general notion that you would be done with those teams and not have to worry about the talk, and that's what I'm talking about with that. I feel like it's only going to get magnified because of this. There's a big level of talk of the like, well, we beat you last year. Right. This is what's going to happen this year. That'll all obviously be gone. And again, the level of talk about recruiting battles is it's always kind of been like, oh, well, like one of the remaining teams, you know, piped up and beat them here for this one recruit. Meanwhile, they're still winning the majority of that. So now it's it's still just I, I don't. I don't see how the status quo is going to change much. I just think there's a bunch of on-field trash talk that's going to be taken away. And so I do feel like, for the most part, we're going to be done with them. If they want to try and come back and pick on us because they're in the better conference, even mm-hmm. though they're not having success in that conference, we're just going to laugh them up, laugh them away from the from wherever we're at. Like if, if dude comes up to me at the bar and is trying to crap on Baylor for winning eight games in the Big 12 in it's Texas or Oklahoma winning seven games in the SEC, I'll be like, yeah, cool. See you at the bowl game. Yeah. Like, what do you want? You, no, I, you, I, you have more money, you have better recruits. You're not winning more games. Like <laughs> that's the fun part of it. Back the hell. That's, off. The, that's the funny part. So of I, it. I, I do. I, I think we're going to be done. Like I Sankey and those programs, they want to, they want to try and keep making noise. They want to try and pick on the big 12. I think them picking on the Big 12 is only a sign the Big 12 is in a place to actually compete with them on some level. I'm not talking about national championships right. here. I'm not talking about immediately uh, making as much money, but your mark has the Big 12 looking like a player. That's why we're hearing these chirps. Yep. I think that's a great sign for the Big 12. I think it is too, and it makes for a great conversation, great debate, and it's going to make for a I'm lot of sure fun. we will revisit this. Yes, once we get on the gridiron, which is coming up soon and can't get here soon enough, but Once again, we appreciate you tuning in, whether it's live or you go back and watch. Be sure you like and subscribe uh, the College Chaos Podcast and the Crystal Ball College Football Channel, as well as our other channels that we have out there. And go and check out Sikkim365.com for everything Baylor Athletics related, as well as realignment news. But uh, for Jack, I'm Garrett. This has been the College Chaos Podcast.